We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, October 10, 2022. We are in the White Sox offseason, and while many of us are beginning our prep work for the Sox Machine offseason plant project, it appears the first order of business for the White Sox is finding a new manager to take over for Tony La Russa. We've got the new list of rumored names attached to the job. Plus, it appears Jose Abreu and the White Sox are breaking up. Our thoughts on a very wild, wild card round of the Major League postseason. Are we fans of this new postseason format? And who do we like advancing to the championship series? We'll talk about the postseason later in the show. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And all right, Jim, the Chicago White Sox media megaphone, Bob Nightingale of USA Today, Mm -hmm. included a few new rumors on two big topics regarding the White Sox at his Sunday column, the next manager and Jose Abreu's status. So let's start with the manager first. The latest White Sox manager rumor from Bob Nightingale, quote, the Chicago White Sox want to hire a veteran manager to replace Tony La Russa not wanting to take a chance on somebody with no experience. Some managers who fit the bill, Bruce Bochy, Mike Schilt, Ron Washington, John Gibbons, Bo Porter, Joe Girardi, and Joe Madden. And then Nyingale adds that Bochy, Washington, and Schilt are considered the leading candidates. If this holds true with the White Sox intentions, Jim, are they narrowing the field too much that they must have previous managerial experience because based on the names that nine Gale has mentioned, I'm not seeing any bench coaches who haven't been a manager yet. I'd also add maybe Freddie Gonzalez and Walt Weiss to the list. Uh, Walt Weiss is currently the bench coach for the Braves. So I first saw his name and I remember him being hired around the same time as Mike Matheny and Robin Ventura, like guys who had never had 
managerial experience whatsoever, but were considered like good conduits for the front office and smart baseball players who could do the job because the job is easy. And it turned out it wasn't easy. But, uh, you know, he's since remained engaged in the game and, and with different organizations. Uh, so, like, you know, I'd, I'd throw him in the list as well. But I think, you know, I understand where the White Sox are coming from with wanting a manager with previous experience because this is a high leverage situation, I think, for hiring a manager. If you're thinking about it in terms of like that relief appearance context or pinch hitting context, like they really can't afford to screw it up. And while, you know, we like Espada, you know, we've talked about Matt Quattraro and such, like they're good, but I think you can also hire a good manager from, I don't want to call them retreads because like, you know, a lot of times with baseball managers, like it takes either a second crack at the job to figure it out or a second organization that uh, teaches you a little bit about how to you know go about certain things. Like Clint Hurdle is one good example of somebody who, you know, was kind of lost the Rockies or was there for a while. And then he went to the pirates when the pirates were innovative and, you know, had some really fresh ideas. And, and it's, it seems like a, a millennium ago now, but it was actually like, you know, uh, maybe like 15 years ago, but like Clint Hurdle changed with the job and, and figured it out and, and got that, that, that second, second life. And he, and he took advantage of it. So, I think there are some good candidates here, and so I don't think it's too narrow, and I think the important thing is, with these former managers, is that there aren't any former managers that are really tied to the White Sox at all, so should there have to be a decision made down the road when it comes to, like, firing a hitting coach, or a pitching coach, or you know, just shaking up a staff, or firing the manager himself, like, there should be ways that the White Sox can make some tweaks that don't get in the way of like loyalty issues that have sprung up in the past from hiring somebody they know and like too much. Clint Hurdle, during his tie with Pittsburgh, I'm glad you mentioned his name, has one of my favorite quotes. Your OPS is in the air. I love that quote. And it is so true. As everybody knows, I am very much ball in air offense. And that quote comes from Clint Hurdle during his time with the Pittsburgh Pirates when they were being innovative and making it the postseason. And it does feel like a decade ago for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mike Schilt. Now, I bring this name up because he is supposedly a leading contender for the position. And is this a good idea, Jim? Because there's a lot of mystery on what happened Mm -hmm. when the St. Louis Cardinals fired Mike Schilt. And he was fired for, quote, philosophical differences with the Cardinals front office. And as you know, going to college in Missouri, St. Louis media is really tuned in with the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. And if there's any deep secret or inner workings going on with the St. Louis Cardinals, the St. Louis media will find out. St. Louis media never found out why exactly Mike Schilt was fired last year. And lo and behold, the Cardinals, they win the National League Central, which they may have under Schilt, but they get swept out of the postseason, which was a surprise, in my opinion, against the Phillies. So they're not really advancing to what they want to be for their final destination after firing Mike Schilt. 
What do you think about Shilted? Would this be a good idea for the White Sox? That's what's keeping me from getting too enthusiastic about Schilt himself. Like the idea of hiring like a Cardinals manager, and a, a worthy Cardinals manager, because he replaced Mike Matheny, who, as I mentioned before, was a bad idea. And we know why Matheny got fired, because Matheny, you know, not only were the Cardinals underperforming, but they had a real rift between veteran players bullying younger players and Matheny basically sanctioning the bullying from the, uh, was it Bud Norris? I believe was the ringleader, uh, of just, yes. uh, you know, harassing young players. And, uh, Matheny thought like, yeah, that's how you earn your dues. And it turns out that, you know, Matheny was an idiot. And then he goes to the Royals because he's tight with Dayton Moore, and he, you know, does not prove himself to be a difference maker in that regard either. They just fired him there. So I think that's a loss for the rest of the AL central, not necessarily the Royals themselves, but you know, Schilt showed what the Cardinals, you know, he basically represented a lot of improvement for the Cardinals just by moving on from Matheny. So I think the way I look at him is that like he's better than a replacement level manager. Maybe he's not a standout one, but he's at least credible. You know, he's at least somebody who knows what they're doing and knows how to run, you know, knows how to correct an issue with a clubhouse. But when it comes to, yeah, the, the whole thorny dismissal like i know that mazeliak is it seems like a kind of a weird guy or at least like he has his way of running things and he's rubbed some people the wrong way and i think you know there there's a little bit of a i think he's a little bit of a control freak in in the way he goes about things so that could be one case where it's like a maybe like a minor job madden thing where he just thought, you know, too much control and, and butting heads. And, you know, he's not going on a book tour like Madden is to basically scuttle any kind of hope of, you know, managing again, knock on wood, because, you know, and people have been trying to time to the White Sox, I think, because of the Cubs thing. But, you know, that, that's my leading guess is that it must have been something with the way, you know, between front office manager, manager wanting to run things, and, you know, maybe the front office thought, well, you're just kind of a placeholder because Matheny was just really bad and you were in-house and we could hire you. And, you know, then they, they thought they could move on and they did uh, to, you know, as you mentioned, like Schilt might, maybe could have done the same job that Marmel did, you know, with this year's Cardinals. So, you know, I'm not sure. I'm just hoping it's not, you know, when it comes to, Schilt in the unknown, like, you know, having seen the White Sox have issues at the minor league level with Omar Vizquel and uh, Wes Helms. Like, I just, you know, yeah, I hope it's not like a, a serious off-field issue, like a major transgression. Hopefully it's just like a personality difference than, you know, like some kind of, oh, we're just, you know, moving on from a thing that might be criminal. You know, just with the White Sox track record with these things, that, that's the one thing that keep me from like, I really want to know what happened here because they, they, yeah, certainly with Tony Larusa, you know, add him to the list of somebody who had a criminal charge against him when they hired him. And, you know, maybe Jerry Reinsdorf is the only one who knew about it. Like, I just, I would like to know at least a summary, uh, a vague summary of what happened. Just butted heads with Mazeliak uh, and, and, or, you know, I didn't like getting strategy uh, told to me from the analytics guys. Like you, even if I might roll my eyes at that, at least, you know, I'd, I'd understand it was a baseball thing versus like something that might be more serious than uh, baseball people originally let on. If Schilt is one of those managers that doesn't want to hear from the analytics department, the White Sox might be a great fit, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even though we hate that, but again, the White Sox are still lagging behind all of Major League Baseball when it comes to their analytics department. So the White Sox want more of an old school baseball guy. Maybe it is Mike Schilt. It is three and a half years as a manager for the St. Louis Cardinals. 
almost 200 games above 500. The Cardinals had a 559 winning percentage. I am wondering though, the Cardinals were four and nine in the postseason under Mike Schilt. And I, I'm wondering the way that he managed postseason games got under the skin of the Cardinals front office and ownership because Bill DeWitt is pretty hands-on when it comes to owners in Major League Baseball. I'm just speculating here because I did a lot of research in this. Like, why did the Cardinals fire this guy? And again, St. Louis media still doesn't know what the philosophical differences were between the Cardinals front office and Mike Schilt. And Schilt, even himself, won't spill the beans, at least publicly, what he thought the philosophical differences were. But right now for the White Sox rumored managers, again, it appears Bruce Bochy, whose name's been attached for more than a month now. Ron Washington was on my short list as he's really helped out the Atlanta Braves and uh, Mike Schilt. So these three right now, I guess we could consider the front runners because the White Sox media megaphone, Bob Nightingale wrote about it and uh, we know who his sources are. Speaking as far as his sources and additional White Sox rumors, Nightingale is also reporting that the White Sox are planning to part ways with Jose Abreu. And in that same report, Nightingale also mentioned that the White Sox really need to shuffle their roster. I think that's something that all White Sox fans know. But he also mentioned that Dylan Cease and Andrew Vaughn are the only untradeable players. So Jim, is Andrew Vaughn truly untradeable? I'm actually going to be writing about this in more detail because I don't know if any White Sox player is untradeable. With the way the White Sox are, with some of the dead ends they have on the roster and, and the need to diversify and the lack of like real minor league depth to trade from, like I wouldn't consider anybody untradeable because in the case like Cease, if you could turn one roster spot into two with a trade, you know, that might be one way to do it. I mean, it's high risk. I'm not saying like they should trade Cease, but I mean like if somebody came to the White Sox with an offer for Cease, like they can't, you know, box their ears and say, no, 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 I can't hear you, blah, 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 go away. Like they can't do that. It's, they have to listen. So if somebody's really excited about Cease and thought like, well, he just presuming he finishes second in the Cy Young award, but like, oh, he's a Cy Young runner up, you know, and we have this uh, cluster of players who are, you know, that we need to free because, uh, you know, we have a, too much talent at premium positions. And maybe it's a, you know, there's a good match there. I haven't really looked into trade partners yet, but this is what I mean. Like just in terms of where the White Sox are, Cease is one of the few players they could trade that would get something back. Vaughn is another player who might, you know, might have fans and, and they like the, the price and, and the, the, Bat to ball ability, maybe loved him in the draft and saw like, well, you know, we're seeing a couple of things we can do, uh, you know, that maybe the lack of minor league experience didn't teach him, but we can catch him up on that. Like, I, I don't get why they would be untradeable because they're probably the best shot at like getting a player plus in return to where like they might be able to shore up some depth issues that they don't have right now. Yeah, I just find it weird that all of a sudden Andrew Vaughn has been placed on this pedestal that he is part of the core. The White Sox cannot move on from Andrew Vaughn. They most definitely can if they want to. Yeah. If there's one thing the White Sox have. They have a bunch of first basemen that are pretty confident could hit 15 to 20 home runs. And right now, from what we have seen from Andrew Vaughn in his first two seasons of the major leagues, he's that type of guy. Could he hit 30 home runs? Hopefully, maybe, if he is truly taken over for Jose Abreu, Kind of need to see those 30 home runs in a season next year. 
But it does really... I mean, we've had this feeling, Jim. We saw Jose Abreu in his last games with the White Sox and with Bob Nightingale not reporting it. Again, knowing who his sources are within the White Sox, it feels like if you are working on your offseason plan project, Abreu's not coming back. So I guess that frees up some payroll money that maybe some were planning on. Well, you know, with the offseason plan project, you can still re-sign Jose Abreu if you want to. Like this is, <laughs> whatever moves the White Sox make, uh, do not preclude, like if you want to try to do what the White Sox will do, then sure, um, you know, then remove Abreu. But if you think like Abreu still has more in the tank than anybody else in the White Sox, you want to re-sign him, go for it. Because, you know, based on uh, the way the White Sox were not able to find like a real heir to the middle of the order uh, for 150 games a year, uh, you know, Bray still might be the best bet for that kind of work. But yeah, it reminds me a little bit with Nightingale's reports of last year when he was, you know, he said the White Sox will uh, pick up Craig Kimbrell's option and look to trade him. And I remember reading that and saying like, yeah, you know, I hope so. Or I assume it's going to happen. Now we'll just see if there's actual trade partner. I'm hoping, you know, if he's telegraphing the trade, this much that like there is a partner or two already out there who have made their interest in Kimbrell known. And as we saw happen, that market wasn't really there for quite a long time until AJ Pollock, who, you know, was actually, you know, <laughs> the thing with, with that trade is we'll see what happens with Pollock with his, um, you know, option. But, uh, you know, that's a case where they might've been better off, like keeping Kimbrell and cutting him during the year rather than having another $13 million salary. They don't really need on the books for next year. Like, they somehow might have lost that trade that we liked a lot because the White Sox are on that kind of losing streak. Yep. If Bob Nigel wants to report in an upcoming Sunday column about what A.J. Pollock is planning to do, that'd be great. Yes. Or what the White Sox are thinking that they will do with A.J. Pollock. That would be wonderful. So keep on it, Bob. Keep talking to those White Sox sources and keep your White Sox fans informed of what the inner thinking is right now with the ball club. But Jim and I will take a quick break. Coming up next, we'll talk about the Major League Baseball postseason. Do we like this new wild card format? It was a wild weekend. Does it got staying power? We'll discuss next on the Sox Machine Podcast. If you've been getting your coffee from the grocery store and drinking the same coffee every day, it's time to try something even better with Trade Coffee. It's so easy to get fresh roasts delivered to your doorstep from local roasters around the country with Trade. Trade Coffee is a coffee subscription service that makes it so simple for you to discover new coffees and make your best cup of coffee at home every day. No fancy equipment is required. Trade partners with the nation's top-rated independent roasters to send you coffee they know you'll love fresh to your home on your preferred schedule, and you get to support small local businesses. This is a win-win. Whether you already know what you like or you want new type of coffees to try and you need some help, Trade makes it easy and convenient to discover new coffees. They'll send you ground coffee or whole beans for however you make your coffee at home. We have a Keurig at home with the filter that allows us to use coffee grounds instead of the pods. And one of my favorite brews that we just got is this Ethiopian blend from Coffee Roaster Broadsheet out in Cambridge, Massachusetts. What I like about this blend is it reminds me a bit of black tea, which I love. 
but this blend has a great caffeine kick that really helps me in the morning. So whether you're just getting started or you love coffee for years, looking to discover something new, Trade guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll send you a new one for free. Upgrade your coffee today with Trade Coffee and let them take the guesswork out of finding your perfect cup. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your subscription plus free shipping at drinktrade.com slash socksmachine. That's drinktrade.com slash socksmachine for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. This has been a wild weekend for the Major League Baseball postseason. And of course, with the recent years of Major League Baseball and and with the start of the postseason, you always have those first couple of days where there's like four games going on. And you can watch baseball all day and then through the night. I absolutely love that. And it was hopeful that was going to be happening throughout the entire weekend. But we saw some sweeps that happened. So it was just Friday and Saturday. And then it sets up just one series had a game going to game three between the San Diego Padres and New York Mets out in Queens going into Sunday night. But out of this best of three, moving away from the one game wild card, Jim, do you like this new wild card format? Not really, or I, I don't think I see much of a difference. Like the big complaint of the last wild card format when they expanded it to two wild card teams playing for one spot was like, one game's unfair. Like, you know, it, it shouldn't be just one and done, which I didn't agree with just because they didn't win their division. So they should be subject to whatever weird and cruel system uh, awaits them. And as somebody who prefers a smaller, tighter, more exclusive postseason, you know, I, I didn't really have sympathy for those, you know, extra teams wanting in. So like having seen, you know, three sweeps, didn't really seem to make much of a difference. We saw, like, you know, with the, the Guardians won at home. We saw the uh, Blue Jays lose at home. We saw the Cardinals lose at home. So, I mean, we, home field didn't really seem to make much of a difference. So, it did seem just, you know, whether it's one game or three games, it's still a very small sample that normal edges, like, you know, pitcher matchups, and we thought saw that with the Mets with Scherzer, you know, and, and him having the dud start. It's still subject to a very small sample. And... Yeah, I guess my feelings will be further fleshed out next round because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of rooting for the Dodgers, but I also like the Braves. Like, I like that they're like four 100-win teams. I like 
I like great teams. Like when it's a case where you have a hundred plus one teams, I tend to root for the, those teams because we're seeing so much emphasis on October now that like, we'll see with the Mets, like, Oh, what a waste of a season. You know, they're talking, is this the worst team money can buy? Like they won a hundred games. Like that's a great regular season. Like it's, I, I consider them two different things. I compartmentalize the regular season and the postseason as separate entities. And like, if you build a 101 team, like that's a great team. And so I hate when like they, they go out early and everybody says like, well, maybe they weren't built to win. Like they were built to win. They built, they passed the toughest test in sports, at least when it comes to regular seasons, which is, you know, the, the 162 game grind. So I tend to root for the, you know, when it, when there are great teams, I tend to root for the great teams now, just because I hate that debate, unless it's like a really unlikable team, like the Astros, you know, post cheating scandal when you're still looking for, you know, some kind of true apologies that they never really delivered. But, you know, otherwise, like I tend to root for great teams. So if the Yankees, Astros, Braves, Dodgers take care of business next round, then it really will seem like, eh, you know, more teams got involved and, and still the great teams won out and the quality showed, then cool. But, you know, if it's a case where like the sixth best team beats the number one team in a, like that just, you know, still sits with me wrongly just because like, I don't get why the sixth best team in a league should have a chance to beat the first best team or the, or I should say the best team in baseball, you know, just because of some weird two game sample at between the, you know, postseason or the end of the regular season and the first postseason series that the great teams play. I do like the format, so I will be opposite of you. I, I do like this format. I do like that you get four postseason games stacked on top of each other. Now, it's a little goofy with the lockout this year, really cutting down on off days. And I think that impacted some teams more than others. But they need to reseed here. Because with the upset, I mean, you saw two upsets in the National League. The Padres and Phillies both winning on the road. The six-seed Phillies are now going to the second-seed Atlanta Braves. And then the five, that I don't get. Yeah, and the five-seed Padres are, are going to play the Dodgers. Like, no, the, the Phillies, it should recede. Phillies should play the Dodgers. Padres should play the Braves. That's the way it it should be because that's the way it works with other professional sports. They recede after every single round. So if you're going to stick with these six teams, and I'm sure with the amount of money Major League Baseball is making from ESPN, even putting some games on ABC, that's that's nice. A little change of pace for Major League Baseball. You got to start receding because it's just weird. It's just weird having the six seed face the number two seed or the five seed facing the one seed. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's just weird. I, I do like the four games in one day. Like that's a good point. Like I do enjoy that, especially like with the way the games unfolded and the Rays and guardians playing really tight games that were like, you know, took, well, the, the 15 inning game uh, took a long time, but that's because it was 15 innings. Like the pace of play, the execution was really great, especially on the pitching and run prevention side. So like that was fun. And then that was like a good lead into some sloppier games later. Uh, you know, especially that, uh, that second uh, Blue Jays Mariners game, which was nuts. So I, I enjoyed like that part of it, but yeah, just really the idea more of like the six best team getting a shot. I, I, I see what you're saying. 
And we're going to find out how this divisional series plays out because the Astros, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Braves, they got the entire weekend off. Now, they could rest up and they could line up their rotation however they want, but is that too much of a break? Mm-hmm. We're going to find out in this next round of the division series. What's been the biggest surprise in this opening weekend of the postseason to you, Jim? Biggest surprise was, you know, maybe a pleasant surprise, Jose Quintana starting game one for the Cardinals and doing well. I, you know, I was happy to see him have that bounce back season with the Pirates and seeing him uh, get traded to the Cardinals made a lot of sense. But then seeing him start game one, I was like, ooh, that's not good for the Cardinals. <laughs> like, that's a little bit of uh, questionable just because, you know, Quintana, we didn't consider him a game one starter at his peak because Chris Sale was there. So we're always used to him, you know, having somebody in his way. So it was strange, but seeing him throw, what, five and a third shutout innings, like, that was cool. So I take that as a, a pleasant surprise. The other one's like, you know, I think the sample is too small to like get wrapped up in like the outcome of series. But I will say that Mariners Blue Jays game, that was a stunner because I turned that off and it was eight to one. You know, not that I thought it was over. I just, you know, had uh, kid stuff to do. And uh, I checked the score later and I see like, you know, it was what, nine, six. And then I saw like, then I saw how it, or I saw it got tied at nine and I saw how it got tied at nine and thought like, you know, good Lord. Like, so, I mean, that was probably, uh, the most surprising outcome, like just not that the you know Mariners beat the Blue Jays because again small series and the you know Mariners are are a good team, but just the way that unfolded, I thought it was going to be like ordinary win, ordinary win, set up a hell of a game three, and said like game three got tacked on to the back end of game two, which was neat. Yeah, uh, my big surprise is the Phillies six run ninth inning in game one completely changed. And how things unfolded at St. Louis. Like, St. Louis had that game up to nothing. They had one out, and then the bottom falls out. Mm-hmm. And my World Series pick, gone. Uh, and then it, just the, the road teams winning, as you mentioned before, that's a surprise. Cleveland's the only home team that won. But starting pitching is back, Jim. It's in vogue. We have seen outstanding starting pitching and we have seen the managers stick with their starters going into the seventh innings in in recent years it's like oh my gosh I got five innings for my starter excellent let's go to the bullpen no the managers have stuck with their starters in this opening round I'm wondering if they will in the next round in the division series it should be pretty interesting on how the managers work with their starting pitchers but at least in the wild card round, that was a very pleasant surprise and that we're not seeing these bullpen games that drag on. Instead, each manager is relied on their starting pitcher to go as deep as they can. And that was really refreshing. Yeah, that makes it a lot more watchable. Like the, I that that's one thing, you know, when I talk about like I prefer September baseball to October baseball, it's because the starters have to do a certain job just to make the bullpen you know, keep the bullpen intact because if the starters always go four innings, the bullpens fall apart. Like in the postseason, you can get away with starters throwing four innings because uh, the, you know, just the way the you know, game unfolds um, and just playing for survival, you can't really think two days out. And that's what I thought was that you know, kind of fascinating about the, the game two of the Mets Padres when Edwin Diaz came in in the seventh inning and 
you know, we remember Buck Showalter not bringing in Zach Britton at all. Like that seemed to be the kind of correction uh, from that moment, uh, making sure that, you know, when the game needed to be put away, he had the guy he wanted in there to do it. And, you know, so that was like the one, I guess, aberration when it comes to bullpen usage that I wouldn't have expected, but otherwise it's been yeah pretty straightforward. And the starters who have been lifted early were the starters who were struggling, like Blake Snell, didn't look that good. Chris Bassett had some control issues. You know, Max Scherzer didn't look right. Like there were some, you know, not great pitching performances, but they were handled, I think, uh, you know, normally in terms of like a high leverage game uh, that it wasn't like the kind of like five innings from a starter. You know, a starter can normally handle a, a lineup a third time through getting pulled before the third time comes up because, you know, manager doesn't want to be caught like sitting on his hands. Like I like when the games are put in the hands of the players by and large, like as long as you don't get stupid and reckless about it and have a guy throwing 115 pitches and clearly looking out of gas. But like, I enjoy when starting pitching gets a chance to wobble and, and sometimes they haven't. And that's been cool. So going into the division series in the American league, you got the number one seed Houston Astros facing the number five seed, the Seattle Mariners. And then you got the number two seed Yankees going up against the number three seed Guardians into the National League. Again, not receding. One seed Dodgers versus Padres. The second seed Braves against the six seed Phillies. So you got division matchups here in three of the four series. Jim, who do you like in the American League to face each other in the championship series? I'm hoping for the Mariners. Like, I think right now they're my... You know, when it comes to the great teams, like, yeah, I want to see kind of the Dodgers pull this off and see their great season all the way through. But when it comes like fun stories and like underdogs who I think would just, you know, really resonate throughout the sport in a positive way, I think the Mariners have that going for them. So I'm kind of pulling for the Mariners in the American League. I think, you know, the Yankees and Astros, if they, you know, advance, that's kind of cool because they're heavyweights and it'll be fun to see them, you know, uh, bash heads in the LCS, but Mariners, I think have enough talent. They have, you know, a deep bullpen, even though it wobbled in game two, they should, you know, put, I think put a scare into a Yankees team, which I think has been, you know, they've been okay. I think, you know, they, they built that huge cushion and used a lot of it in the second half. So I think they're gettable. I think the Astros are scary, you know, legitimately, but I will say like with the guardians, the guardians, you know, watching them dismantle the Rays basically with their run prevention, made me feel better about the White Sox a little bit saying like, okay, it's not just the White Sox who, you know, look useless against them. The Rays also, you know, held to one run over 24 innings. Like, Hey, that, that at least was slightly comforting, uh, given the way the White Sox face planted this year against them. So that was kind of neat. So if the guardians to continue to, uh, do what they're doing and win with this very limited recipe they have, like maximizing the, the their strengths and, and, and somehow masking their significant weaknesses. Like that at least bring me comfort. I think on a personal level from watching the white Sox run into that wall over and over again, game one for each of these four series in the division series will be on Tuesday. So we get four games stacked on top of each other. Phillies and Braves will kick it off at 1207. Central time in Chicago, then Mariners at Astros, Guardians at Yankees, and Padres at Dodgers with their start time at 8.37 p.m. Central time. So Tuesday, lots of baseball for everyone. Who do you have? If the regular season outcomes carry over into the postseason, it's going to be chalk. But the one team that may have the best chance for another upset 
maybe the Philadelphia Phillies because the Braves had the season series. They won. They were 11 and 8 against the Phillies. The Dodgers were 14 and 5 against the Padres with a plus 62 run differential. Mm -hmm. That's a wowzer. Houston was 12 and 7 against Seattle. And the Yankees were 5 and 1 against the Guardians this year. So we'll see if that carries over. But I am going chalk here. I'm going Astros versus Yankees and Dodgers versus Braves. Even though you are right, Jim, with the way that the Yankees' offense has struggled as of late, if Cleveland can continue pitching that well, especially at Yankee Stadium, they got a chance here to get into the American League Championship Series. And with the Phillies, with Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, if they could win their starts against the Braves, they're right there. They just got to figure out how to win that third game yeah. against Atlanta. So these, these should be fun series. Yeah, I think the Phillies are probably the best example of like not being built for 162 games, but being built for like seven you know, or, or especially five or three when it comes to the wild card round. Like having those two back to back to open a series, you know, when they can go toe to toe with, you know, especially with the Cardinals throughout there, we had Jose Quintana who pitched really well, but like, you know, Jose Quintana against Zach Wheeler, that's a matchup in the Phillies favor. You know, it's pretty much, you know, they can, they can go toe to toe. Uh, and, and mask their bullpen and mask their defense uh, issues. Like when those two are out there, when you have three other games to worry about uh, in a five man rotation, uh, that's when, you know, things start to fall apart and the Phillies get weird. So that's a, uh, you know, if they somehow continue to march on, I, I think that'll kind of show, you know, going forward, uh, or at least it'll provide, I think, one template for teams to follow when trying to figure out exactly what they're trying to do. I think, like, when it comes to the White Sox, they tried to do that with Lance Lynn pairing him with Lucas Giolito, and now Dylan Cease might be there instead of Giolito. But Lance Lynn is, you know, he had issues against the Astros, so, you know, he ran into the wrong team, I think, to try to prove that, uh, you know, I guess that strategy for kind of going with two horses at the top and then, you know, see how many other games you can scratch, you know, scratch out over the course of a season than a, a postseason series. But I'm watching the Phillies just in that regard. Also, like it's fun to see Bryce Harper showing up, fun to see Manny Machado showing up. I don't mind if those two uh, continue to do some damage just to show like the just twisting the knife, Jim, just twist it. Yeah. I mean, it sucks when, it was annoying, you know, when, when hearing like, well, what does it matter? They've never experienced success or, you know, the teams haven't done anything with them, you know, with the, uh, you know, with, with the nationals winning after Harper left and Machado, you know, not, you know, the Orioles not really advancing with him. Like, you know, they, they'd shown like, Oh, you know, what can you do with them? They've never won anything. And now they're, you know, each have a series one under their belts. So, I mean, like I enjoy seeing that just because like, uh, for those of us who wanted Harper or Machado, the White Sox to invest in like that kind of projectable six wins above replacement talent, like this kind of just backs up what that attitude is all about or what that philosophy is all about in terms of just bankable, excellent players, uh, give them enough games and eventually that talent will show up. The game that I am circling on the calendar, Saturday, October 15th, Astros at Mariners. This is going to be the first postseason home game in 21 years. And I just have a feeling, Jim, that Seattle crowd is going to be awesome. 
And it may be, it might remind White Sox fans of game three of last year mm-hmm. in Chicago during the blackout, the first home playoff game since 2008. And those vibes, as far as the sellout crowd, I will definitely be watching that game on Saturday, October 15th. So just make plans Saturday nights. You are watching Astros versus Mariners, everyone. Yeah, that was one thing Tony LaRusa brought up in his uh, end of year slash end of career statement talking about how game three was like the most memorable postseason atmosphere he's ever been in. And that could be a little bit of pandering to White Sox fans on the way out, given that he's had, you know, a, you know, he's won world series with two other organizations. And, you know, that was years, you know, decades ago. So like, he doesn't really need to worry about like upsetting Cardinals fans or A's fans for, you know, what they accomplished there. You know, so you can, you can take with a grain of salt a little bit, but you know, I also remember like, you know, guys like Ron Darling talking about like how the blackout game in 2008 was insane, you know, especially given just that he had no real expectations for what a White Sox postseason game is like. And, you know, U.S. Cellular Field, as it was at the time, uh, was not known as like a postseason setting, aside from like one year in 2005, which, you know, itself was huge. But just, you know, a lot of people didn't get to experience that firsthand. So, yeah, I, mean, I think you're right that uh, T-Mobile, like I always want to call it Safeco, and now it's uh, T-Mobile Park, like uh, that's that could be something too, where just, you know, people who are going there have no idea, you know, they're going to expect to be huge, but I think there's like something almost like primal or desperate about those postseason crowds that have got to experience so few uh, postseason atmospheres that they really savor it, especially like when things go well, like, you know, you talked about Larry Garcia Homer, like when that happens, just so much, uh, uh, relief and excitement and catharsis just kind of uh uh erupts and i i don't think you know even uh postseason tested broadcasters can tell i think they can tell a difference when it's like a, a place like you know st louis or yankee stadium that has experienced so many postseason games are kind of used to it versus like that kind of uh this is rare like i'm thinking the other one too is like the pirates you know speaking of those uh, clint hurdle teams to bring it full circle uh the pirates teams like when they were when they got johnny cueto when cueto was at the reds to drop the ball on the mound when they were chanting cueto cueto and he dropped the ball on the mound and just the way the pirates fans went nuts for you know thinking they got his head and kind of looked like they did you know that's those are always memorable so yeah uh, i'm looking forward to that i'm really hoping the mariners at least have one game they might have more but i mean like i just hope they have that one game that really allows the crowd to experience like what you experienced and so many other fans experienced in game three last year just you know first postseason appearance in 10 plus years 20 plus years like give them something yeah and if the time works out Maybe we'll have a watch party just for that game so we could all experience it together. So again, Saturday, October 15th, Game 3, Astros at Mariners. That is going to be appointment television watching for baseball fans. The first postseason game in 21 years in Seattle. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. It was good to catch up as far as the latest rumors for the White Sox. And what has happened in the postseason. We will start our player reviews later this week in the next Sox Machine podcast as we review the 2022 season for Jose Abreu. Take a look into that season and break it down and what could be the expectations of maybe Abreu's next team. And 
Are the White Sox making a mistake here, letting Jose Abreu walk? We'll have that conversation later this week in the next Sox Machine podcast episode. But thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you just discovered Sox Machine, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Apple and Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter, at Sox Machine. Let's try to get the Sox Machine account up to 10,000 followers, folks, so we can unlock additional features on Twitter. That will help us greatly. Uh, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Sox Machine as we're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers before the next season in 2023. And if you enjoy your work and you want more, you can sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine to help support us our Patreon supporters get more. They get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag, they're the first ones to receive it. And Jim, speaking of the swag, we've got a new item in the shop. Yes, the Sox Machine scarves are on sale. The uh, classic sports scarf. Soccer is known for them. I first uh Appreciated it when I took a trip to Sweden, went, saw a bandy game, picked up a Hammerby scarf uh, just because I was standing in cold and damp weather and thought like, hey, that'd be a nice souvenir. And that became my everyday scarf for a uh, team and a sport very few people know about. And I don't think I would have even been able to identify it. Once I saw it and I saw the name like, oh, I've seen this like once, uh, but I if I had to guess, if I were forced to explain what Bandy was, you know, without you know any kind of cheat sheet, I probably would have failed. So fortunately, I didn't have to think of it, <laughs> uh, you know, in front of people to really be put to the test. But yeah, so Sox Machine Scarf is uh, now on sale. Uh, looks like we sold about a dozen of them so far. Uh, if you have, uh, if you support us on Patreon at the five and ten war tiers, uh, I release new coupon codes. So check your email or check the Patreon page to get your new coupon codes for the month. Um, Josh, you're getting a few sent your way. You should be getting them in the mail in the next day or two. So you can attest to the quality. Like I didn't want to tip to them before we got them just because it's new product line. Um, you know, new company I was trying, like chance it could be a dud. So I didn't want to say like, Hey, we're getting scarves and like, they're not that great. And like, yeah, you know, they might be giveaways more than anything we're selling, but no, they're really nice. I'm really happy with the way they turned out. Uh, and so hopefully uh, as they spread out, people will enjoy them as much as I do. And if you do sign up at patreon.com slash machine as a new member, we have monthly plans that start at $2. Or you could save with the annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash machine. That'll do it for this episode. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>